I think most of us have heard the story out of Jainism of a group of blind men, each feeling different parts of an elephant. Each one is asked to describe what an elephant is like, and of course the one feeling the leg says an elephant's like a pillar. The one feeling the torso says, no, the elephant's like a wall. The one feeling the tail says, no, an elephant is like a rope. Of course, the one feeling the trunk says, no, the elephant's like a giant branch, a limb. Of course, the point of the story is that we each have our own experiences. We each see the world, interpret the world through our own experiences. We each are necessarily, therefore, limited to this sort of partial, slanted knowledge that is ours by our perspective. It's all relative, right? That's the point. That's the way it's often used. Used to kind of suggest that we're trapped in this subjectivity. We're trapped in a world of our own assumptions. Trapped in a world always dependent on our own knowledge. Of course, the fallacy of that parable is the idea that the blind men never actually bother to ask each other for any kind of input, right? The, uh, the, the, the fallacy of that argument is the pride of the blind man that would think that he only interprets the world through his own experience. But even more is the fallacy that there could never come along someone who isn't blind. Who can actually say to these guys, well, let me tell you what's going on here. What you're seeing isn't the whole picture. Let me tell you the whole deal. This is all of it right here. The assumption is that that would or could never happen. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, our passage for this morning, that's exactly what Paul tells us has happened. For all of us who are, if you want to say, born into this world with partial knowledge, with limited scope, with our own perspective or whatever it might be, we are bound by the limitations of our own mind, our own experience, our own rational thinking. All of us who, who are limited by our own human knowledge, which leads us continually from one empty mirage of, of hope to the next. All of us born with this futile and empty knowledge of man. Paul says there is one who knows all, and he has come to give you the whole picture. This is what Paul's getting at in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 10 and going through the end of this chapter, he's coming to tell us that the one who knows everything has lent us his voice so that we can understand everything. Now, this is the contrast, remember. Paul's sort of said up to this point a lot of bad things about knowledge and wisdom, but he's been talking about the wisdom of men. He's been talking about how the knowledge and the wisdom of men has its limitations. As a matter of fact, he's He's called it weak, he's called it foolish, he's called it all kinds of things because it's kind of like a tree that that always promises to bear fruit but never does. It's kind of like a, a, a friend who always promises to pay you back but never does, right? It's kind of like the, the thing which never delivers on its promises. It has all these grandiose claims, but at the end of the day, for all of man's advancement in technology and all of his advancement in education and all of his advancement in, 
in whatever it might be, he still, although he might have greater capacity by his technology, he still is mired in a world of materialism and discontent and, and corruption and greed and selfishness. That's all man's knowledge has gotten him. Because at the end of the day, that's all it can get him. That's all it could ever get him. Jeremiah asked in his own day, he says, Behold, they have rejected the word of God, so what kind of wisdom do they have? The answer is none. Human wisdom, weak, faltering, futile, hopeless to find really the answers of life, the answers of why you're here, what you're to do, what's your purpose, how you can even be redeemed from all your guilt. You're like a, you're like a, a blind man groping in the dark. And you need someone to come along and give you the true perspective. Well, that's what Paul says has happened. That's what has happened. Paul says we have true wisdom. We've rejected all the wisdom of the world, and what we are giving to you is the true wisdom. What we're giving to you is the right wisdom. What we're giving to you is the authentic, the genuine, the right, the only wisdom. Well, that leads to the question, right? I mean, Paul, if you said that humans have limitations and if you, you said you know, uh, they're all futile, they're all empty, they're all kind of uh, coming to naught. If, they, if you said all that about human beings and their wisdom, what makes you think, Paul, that suddenly you're any different? I mean, what makes you think that the wisdom you offer is any better? What makes you think it's not the product of your own pride and your own ego? What makes you think that you're not just one more blind man giving us your egotistical or chauvinistic or limited perspective on how life should run and how we should conduct ourselves. Well, that is essentially what Paul answers in verses 10 through 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let me read it for you. These things, speaking of the wisdom that he's talked about so far, he says these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God, that we may understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this wisdom in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Paul's basically answering why, after saying so many things about the, the limitations of human wisdom, why all of a sudden we should think that he has the corner on wisdom. And this is his answer as he begins to outline for us what is now the necessary components for comprehending spiritual truth. If you're, going to really, if you're going to really get beyond all those limitations, you're going to have to have all the things that Paul tells us he has when he gives us this passage. All the necessary components for comprehending spiritual truth. There are three of them that he lists out for us here. Three of these necessary components. The first one coming to us in verses 10 through 12, and it's simply revelation. Revelation. He says... God has revealed 
them through the Spirit. Now them, as we said, these are the things that Paul's talked about so far. This is the wisdom that Paul's talked about so far, the, the secrets of God, if you will. These are the things that he said in verse 9, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. All those things that were, if you want to say, beyond the reach of man's natural means, essentially inaccessible to him by observable empirical knowledge, inaccessible to him by auditory traditional knowledge, inaccessible to him by imagined or philosophical knowledge. All of the, all of the fields which man looks to to traditionally yield knowledge about the world around him, Paul says what he has to offer is beyond that reach. It'll never be grasped by any of those things. It is inaccessible, we might say, through natural means, but not through supernatural. In fact, it, through the supernatural means of revelation, it is very accessible. It has been made known, Paul says. This is what God has given to us. Now, obviously, God has revealed Scripture for all of men. It's all inspired, it's profitable for teaching, reproof, training, correction, and righteousness so that the man of God might be perfect or mature or complete, equipped for every good work, right? So Scripture has been given for all believers, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking specifically about the ones who received this supernatural, direct revelation from God. He's talking about himself, the other apostles, and the prophets. He says, we've received what is beyond human means. It's his claim. And he says it's come to us by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit worked in the heart of the Apostle Paul, worked in the heart of the other apostles, worked in the heart of the prophets to give them what you could never get any other way. Now, this is not surprising to us, those of us who Read the scripture and understand what the Holy Spirit is. He is the agent of God's word. He is the one who uses God's word as a tool. He always has. It's always been his special instrument. It's always been his special domain. When you look into even all the way back to creation, when God spoke and the worlds came into being, it was the Holy Spirit who was hovering over the waters, right? It's always been the Holy Spirit who came and and gave divine revelation. It is Him who reveals. It is Him who inspires. It is the Holy Spirit who illumines. The Holy Spirit who then takes that truth and convicts men's hearts. It's the Holy Spirit who takes the truth and equips you for all these good works. It's the Holy Spirit who gifts men and women in your life who become teachers in order to help bring you to maturity. Holy Spirit does all that. This is His special tool, His special domain. That's why it's always silly those people who come along and want to suggest to you that somehow by studying too much, you might actually quench the Holy Spirit in your life. I remember people telling me that. You know, if you get too much into theology, if you get too much into Bible study, then you're going to somehow, you're going to quench the Holy Spirit because there's this idea that somehow the mind is pitted against the Spirit. I mean, do they not realize that it's the Word of God that the Holy Spirit inspired? And what a ridiculous thought to think that the Holy Spirit would inspire a word and then want us to keep far from it. No, quite the opposite. To the extent that you are filled with God's word, to that same extent will you be able to be filled with the Spirit and nothing more. 
You'll never be more full of the Spirit than you are of the Word because the Word is His special domain. It's His special product, uh, project, uh, pro, excuse me, product and His special tool. There is no antithesis between the Scripture and the Spirit. There's complete harmony. It is the Word He inspires. This is what Paul says was given to him. This which was inaccessible to man was given through the Spirit. And that makes it unique from any other thing that you will ever learn from any other source that you'll ever read. You know why? Listen to what he says at the end of verse 10. For the Spirit searches everything. Everything. This is what is unique about what you hear in the Bible. This is what you this is what is unique about the Word of God as opposed to any other thing that you will ever read, you'll ever study, you'll ever fill your heart and mind with. It comes from a source that is complete and is comprehensive, that knows the end from the beginning. It comes from a source that has considered every fact, every detail, every angle, every experience, every contingency at all time, in all ways. See, God not only knows the past perfectly, He knows the present. Every single thing taking place at every moment right now, anywhere in the universe, He knows. He even knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the hairs on your head. And He knows the future perfectly. God has declared the end from the beginning. He has, he has said how it's going to all end and he's, he's laid it out because He knows it. Not only that, God knows not just the real future, but He knows the potential futures. You know that? God, even, God not only knows what will be, He knows what could be an every conceivable contingency. God knows it. That's God's knowledge. Everything. Everything. And let me tell you, if you're ever going to have genuine knowledge, genuine wisdom, you're going to have to have it from a source that's like this. Because otherwise, you're going to be making judgments. You're going to be making decisions based on the data you have. And there's always the possibility, right? That there's something you missed. There's always the possibility of some factor you didn't solve for. There's always the possibility of some piece of information, some experience that if you put it in the equation, it'll change everything. And let's be honest, quite often that happens, doesn't it? And when we hear something and, and we get all riled up and we think that we're going to get, you know, we're going to go on a crusade about something and, and we just charge out there and then, and then we meet somebody and they share, share with us from the other side. That's what scripture says. As every man's case seems right until another comes and pleads his cause, right? I mean, we always, we always kind of get our perspective from the information we have and we run out there and then we learn something new. We have to change our perspective. This is the, this is the fallacy of human knowledge. This is, this is the limitation of human knowledge. And so if you're going to have ever the hope of finding ultimate truth, you're going to have to have it from this kind of source, a comprehensive source, one who knows everything. And that's what Paul's claiming. He's saying, we received a message 
from the Spirit, and the Spirit knows everything. Not only everything in this universe, not only everything in what you can see, hear, touch, smell, taste, but he says there at the end of verse 10, he also even knows the depths of God. That is to say, he knows what's beyond this universe. He knows God's nature. He knows God's attributes. He knows God's thoughts. He knows God's purposes, his plans. He knows God's providences. He knows it all. He goes on to sort of elaborate on that in verse 11. Who among man knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. I mean, that should be obvious. You couldn't really know someone's thoughts unless they told you what they are. I mean, it would be offensive, right, to us. Somebody went around there and said, you know, hey, I know, I know what Betty thinks, and this is what she thinks about this, and you've never even talked to Betty? I mean, wouldn't that be rather offensive if you were Betty, right? Someone going around spouting off what you believe, what you think, what's in your heart, and you've never even told them? That's why when someone comes to me and says, well, God would want me to do this, I want to say, well, where did he tell you that? Because if he didn't tell you, how do you know? Wouldn't you think that's offensive to God? For you to go around saying what he thinks, what he wants, what he desires, what he believes without even hearing from him? It's audacious. I mean, you can live with someone for years. You can share thoughts and joys and troubles and, 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 and your dreams I mean, you can live with them for decades and, and just be so intimate with them and still you would never know that person as well as you know yourself. You say, well, actually my wife expects me to. So no, that's beside the point. You'll never know that person like you know yourself, right? This is the kind of knowledge, Paul says, is only possible if somebody tells you. And this is what the Spirit's done. The Spirit has made known. The Spirit who knows all things, the Spirit who knows even the depths of God has made these things known. He says in verse 12, to sort of even expand on that issue, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who's from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Paul's saying, look, this is not another iteration of worldly knowledge. This is not just some other philosophy to stack up there with other philosophies. This is not just some other religion to stack up there with another religion. These are not just the thoughts of some other man. This isn't from the spirit of the world. This isn't anything that arises out of natural means. This isn't the imaginations and the philosophy of some person. No, this isn't mortal. This isn't finite. This isn't limited This isn't worldly in any way. It comes from God, and the way that we know it is because He's freely chosen to give it. Otherwise, it couldn't be known. It'd be impossible unless God decided to make it known. Now, that takes us from that first necessary component to a second one, which Paul gets into in verse 13 a second necessary component for comprehending spiritual truth, and that's inspiration. Because Paul goes on to say this, Now we impart this 
that is this knowledge that he's received, in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Now he's moving from what he has received, which is revelation, the the what, if you will, of God's word, he's moving that to the how. So, So he's saying that God taught us these words, these words that weren't of human wisdom. God's spirit taught them to us. And then we, in turn, interpreted spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. By the way, there's some debate about how to translate that last phrase. It's, it's basically two adjectives and a participle. Pneumatikois, pneumatika, sun krenontes. And so people sometimes wonder, is he talking about spiritual words with spiritual thoughts? Or is he talking about spiritual thoughts with spiritual people? Or spiritual words with spiritual people? Because it's a little unclear. It's just... Just a couple of adjectives. And so you have, for example, the New American Standard, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. This is what Charles Hodge says, is clothing the truths of the Spirit in the words of the Spirit. Or you have the English Standard Version, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. How you translate it, it's really not going to make a big difference. It's the same idea. Because Paul's already said at the beginning of the verse, God taught us in spiritual words these truths, and then we're giving them to spiritual people. That's where he's going with this. This is what he says was the process of how the Word of God came down to us. You see, you, you, you realize that God could have did what He did at Mount Sinai. He could have split a mountain in two and carved on a rock with His finger what the Word of God is. He could have done that, certainly capable of doing that. But in God's wisdom, he chose not to. He chose to use the instruments of men, of prophets and apostles, to convey his truth. And that truth comes down to us, filtered through them, and yet superintended by the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, look, these truths were taught to us. And then we, in turn, interpreted them to spiritual people. That being Christians, being believers. In other words, the Holy Spirit came upon these men by the Spirit and their inner consciousness. They were filled with truth from God, which they, in turn, communicated to others through inspired Scripture. This is exactly what God promised would happen. Jesus said to His disciples, John 14, the things that I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, excuse me, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So He's promised that I'm going to bring to remembrance the words, the teachings, the truth that I taught to you. And beyond that, there was even more revelation that He gave. So the Spirit actually brings to mind these spiritual thoughts, these spiritual truths. He teaches it to these apostles, and then they in turn convey it through the Scripture, all under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit. So at the end of the day, every stroke of the pen, or as Jesus says, every jot and every tittle, is completely His. That's why Peter could affirm in 2 Peter 1, no prophecy of Scripture was ever 
given or ever was the product of the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But you need to understand when we say that, we're not saying that there, there was some sort of, uh, uh, of trance that they fell into and their, their, their pens just sort of lifted and mechanically wrote what was maybe whispered in their ear. In other words, our, our view of inspiration isn't so mechanical and dictatory. God filtered it through these men. He taught them these truths. He divinely revealed these truths to them. And then they disseminated it through their personalities, through their experiences, through their desires, their wants, their plans, so that Paul could write in Holy Scripture to the Romans and say, you know, I'm hoping to come to you. Uh, I may be able to, but if I'm not, I'll be here. But if I do, I want you to help me on my way so that I can go to Spain. That's all Paul, you see. But it's all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's all infallible because the Spirit was superintending it. Spiritual truths disseminated through spiritual men to spiritual people. It's God's process. You say, well, how's all that work? I mean, I don't understand all that. I mean, you say that God is is in control of all Scripture, every stitch, every jot, every tittle is His. But then on the other hand, you say that Paul was himself, and he had his experiences, and he had his desires, and he had his choice. And you, well, I can't explain it to you. But that's the way God works. So there's a mystery. There's a mystery of God's sovereignty that is at work alongside man's will. That's true in inspiration of Scripture, just as it's true in salvation. It's a mystery we can't ever fully unravel, but it's true. None of this came down to us by any product of the will of man, but as men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So if you're ever going to know these things that are beyond you, they're beyond your limitations. They come from the comprehensive mind of God. If you're ever going to know those things, you're only going to know them if God chooses to reveal them. And then, if those things which are revealed are faithfully transmitted on pages of Scripture to us, which has been done by the apostles. That's what Paul's saying. Those things that we were taught, we faithfully committed to you. Spiritual truths to spiritual people. Which kind of brings us to our third necessary component for comprehending spiritual truth, which is illumination. Illumination. Paul says in verse 14, The natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So you, this, is, this, is the, this is the state of things is that you can, you can have Scripture revealed, you can have Scripture inspired, you can have Scripture recorded and faithfully passed down to us, and still someone not receive it. Because Paul says they're still a natural person. They don't have the Spirit of God. They're unconverted. The divine 
powers of the Spirit of God are not resident within them. They're still operating on the mere natural faculties of their own mind and soul. They're still operating on pure rationalism, untouched by the Spirit of God. And so therefore, they don't accept the things of the Spirit. In fact, they're foolishness. The bottom line, the bottom line of why that is, why someone can read the same book you read, can hear the same stories of God's providence and God's provision and God's salvation, why someone can hear the same challenges and warnings of judgment from Christ, they can hear the same parables, they can come under the same gospel, why someone can see all of that and not be in any way impacted the same way you are. The reason for that It's because the natural person is still the source of their own authority. In other words, things are right because he or she judges them to be right. Or another way to say this, the natural person sees no need in their own mind for any outside authority to step in and reveal anything to them. The natural man believes he can judge for himself. As a matter of fact, I've run into people that have told me that they felt like they could get God straight on a couple of issues. I've had people tell me before that they're angry with God and and if God would listen to them, they could straighten Him out. They're going to correct Him. These are those that the Scripture says are wise in their own eyes. Their own mind, their own opinion, their own judgment is still the primary source of their authority. It's not to say that they don't have knowledge. It's not to say that they don't have sophisticated knowledge. It's not to say that they don't have sometimes worldly wisdom. It's not to say that they aren't intelligent. In fact, many unbelievers are highly intelligent. They're very skilled at complicated subjects they're very skilled at things like anatomy or physics or finance or management or engineering or whatever it might be logic and many times in many ways much more skilled in those areas of expertise than even believers some of them even study theology They teach in religion departments of universities around our nation. They teach in seminaries. Some people stand up and teach Sunday school. But they never trust in the truths that they find in the pages of Scripture. Those things, to them, are still foolish. They have sometimes full knowledge some of these atheists, some of these agnostics actually go into, go into religion teaching as a profession, you see. But they still reject the Scripture. The issue, isn't, the issue isn't availability. The issue is in their hearts. Jesus told a story this way. He says, look, if your eye is good, then your whole body is full of light. Now, he wasn't giving just a a lesson on physical health when he was saying that. He was giving that as an illustration of spiritual truth. And in that illustration, the eye is representative of the heart. 
And what he's saying is, then if your eye is good, you can see the whole uh, landscape in front of you, you know your bearings, you know how to get around, you can make judgments about where things are dangerous and where things are safe, you can do all of that if your eye is good. But if your eye is bad, he says your whole body is full of darkness. So you might think, well, I just, you know, I got one bad eye or two bad eyes, you know. But really, it's just a very small percentage of overall anatomy. No, it affects everything, he says. Same thing with your heart. If you've got a bad heart, then your whole body is affected. Jesus says it this way, if the eye is bad, the whole body is full of darkness. So the darkness that is your biggest problem is not actually on the outside of you, it's on the inside of you. It's your heart that doesn't like the word of truth. Remember, this is what Paul says over in Romans 1, just to remind ourselves of a very familiar passage. Romans 1.18, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness do what? Suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not acknowledge Him as God. This is what theologians say uh, about the unbelievers that in one single cognitive moment... They can both be knowing and unknowing. They can both see God and not understand, not comprehend. John Calvin said it was like like a traveler in a pitch black night with no moon. And suddenly out of nowhere comes a flash of lightning and the whole landscape lights up in front of them. But before they can take one step, they're once again plunged back into the darkness of their pathway. This is the way the unbeliever is. They can have some flash, some presentation, some recognition by just looking around at creation around them or looking into the life of some believer that they know has been transformed by the power of God, that they know is living a a transformed life of righteousness, that they know whose life is filled with light. They can look at that life and they can see in a flash for a moment a pathway where they should go and it's gone because they suppress the truth. They don't like it. They consider it foolish. Their thinking, as Paul goes on to say in Romans 1, is futile. Their hearts become darkened as they exchange the truth for a lie. As they become wise in their own eyes. They are the source of their own authority. They're the source of their own authority. But believers are different. Believers readily confess their foolishness. They confess the limitations of their own knowledge. They distrust their own wisdom. And they put all their trust in a foreign wisdom. A wisdom from an unlimited source. 
This is what Scripture is. As a matter of fact, you were created for this. God never made you with the intent that you would live your life thinking independently. You were created, you were designed to be a dependent creature. You were designed to think God's thoughts after Him. You were always intended to be filled with His truth. This is what Scripture is all about. This is what Paul says he's conveyed. This is what's been given to us. But you'll only ever know it if God changes your heart. Because as he says here, back over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that all the Scripture that has been revealed, all the Scripture that's been inspired and been faithfully written down and given to us, it is only discerned by those who are spiritual. The word discerned, I think it's translated in the New American Standard as appraised, valued, that's a word for valuing something. A person that doesn't have the Spirit doesn't know how to properly value what he finds in Scripture. It's useless to him. Another John Calvin quote, he says, he says, faced with God's revelation, the unbeliever is like a mule at a concert. That's what you are if you don't have the Spirit of God. You're, you're standing before the grandeur and the beauty and the majesty and the depth of the wisdom of God and you're, you're, you're appreciating it no better than a mule at a concert. It's just noise to you. The spiritual man, on the other hand, Paul says, judges all things. Great, no more study, right? We know it all. That's not the point, right? He's not saying that we know all things. He's just saying that we now have the ability to appraise, to value all things. Not that we have the same comprehensive, infallible, limitless knowledge of God, but we now have access and ability to evaluate what we do know correctly. That's the point. That's what he means by all things. Everything you do know by the Scripture, you now have the ability to properly evaluate everything. They say, well, I think the Bible is really kind of limited to just certain areas of life and, you know, we've got to look other places to kind of fill in the corners. That's not what Paul thought. All things. Everything in your life, both physical, psychological, mental, financial, everything. The Scripture's been given to give you proper evaluation of it. There will always be those things. The secret things belong to the Lord. The things that are revealed belong to us. There will always be hidden things in our life. There will always be a need for us to be growing in our knowledge. I mean, we have to have teachers. Ephesians 4 says God gave them to us so that we can continually be maturing in our faith. We always need to be studying. We can't just sort of believe now that because we're Christians we understand everything. And so there's a need to labor to show ourselves approved, a workman of God who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
There's always a need for those things. He's not claiming that once you receive the Spirit, that suddenly you just sort of sit back and, and you just trust now in all your own opinions inherently. But what he's saying is, through the Spirit who illumines our minds into the Word of God, we now have the capability, we now have the capacity to properly evaluate everything in our lives. On the other hand, the spiritual person is judged by no one. That is to say, it is just impossible, just as impossible for the world to make proper evaluations about you as it is about them making evaluations about the Word of God. They will not understand why in the midst of a trial you persevere and trust in God. They will not understand why you return evil with good. They will not understand why you humble yourself. They will not understand why you allow yourself to be defrauded. They will not understand why you sacrifice. They won't understand why you speak kindly in the face of harsh words. They won't understand why you forgive. They won't understand why you worship. They won't understand why you do what you do. And if you think that somehow you're going to explain it to them apart from the Word of God, you might as well give up. The spiritual person is not judged and will not and cannot be judged properly through a worldly lens. Can't be done. He's judged by no one. Because as Paul says, who has understood the mind of the Lord, verse 16, so as to instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. This is really amazing. Turn with me. Paul quotes from Isaiah 40. Isaiah chapter 40. He says in verse 10, let's just look there. Behold, The Lord God comes with might and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather His lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead these that are with young. Now, he's speaking to a group of people at this point who are in captivity. Or Isaiah's writing before they go into captivity, but it's intended for them once they're there. It's It's a message of comfort to God's people in the midst of some terrible turmoil. And what he's saying is God has a plan. You don't see it yet. God has goodness in store for you. You don't realize it yet. And then he goes on this little rant in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in the scales and the hills in its balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord and what man shows him his counsel? The obvious answer is to be no one, right? No one. He's really saying... That these, these, are, these are divine, majestic things that God is about to do that no man could ever have searched out 
these fabulous truths of deep understanding that you would have never anticipated. We come back over to 1 Corinthians 2. Paul says, Who has understood the mind of the Lord? But we have the mind of Christ. Think, think about that for a moment. Who's understood the mind of the Lord? Guess what? Now you can. Now you can. The one who does these amazing things, the one who stretches out the heavens in such an expanse, he says, you have the mind of Christ. He's not talking about your mind. He's talking about the Scripture, what's been revealed to us. He's talking about the knowledge. He's talking about the wisdom. He's talking about what has been dispensed. And to the extent that God has revealed Himself, you have a peek into some of the most profound divine mysteries that have ever been. The Word of God gives you that. It's not instantaneous. It's not automatic. It doesn't just sort of grow with the sun like your plants do. It takes diligent effort, diving into the Word of God, unfolding its truths, meditating on it, thinking about it, rightly dividing it. But there has been dispensed for us a depth and a wealth of wisdom that we don't even comprehend. It's laid out there for us. So that as you discern the Word of God, as you evaluate the Word of God, it gives you the tools to see the landscape. You're no longer like the guy groping around in darkness who occasionally sees a flash of lightning. God turns on the sun and everything is before you. Everything you need judgment about, every decision, every value, every discernment, it's all there in the Word of God if you'll give your heart and mind to it. And God will instruct you. Let's bow together and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. While you're bowed there, let me just challenge you if you're here with us, maybe today for the first time, maybe every week, and you've heard God's word and it has been nothing to you, but maybe some naive stories, the people who follow it seem a little bit foolish to you. You've kind of always been the captain of your own ship, the governor of your own soul. God is here to tell you that you've been acting foolishly. The misery and the pain in your life is because of your sin and your rebellion. But God has graciously made Himself known through the Scripture so that if you repent, and you believe and trust in Christ, not only can that guilt be wiped away, but you can have eternal life. That's our challenge to you. And as we dismiss here in a moment, I want to encourage you to find me after the service if God is speaking to you. Here, this week, at this time, or whenever, if God's speaking to you, I'd love to meet with you and let you know exactly how Christ has made a way for you to have salvation. Father, we're grateful so thankful to you that you've given to us wisdom. 
You've given to us knowledge. You've given to us light and a new heart so that we can understand. Father, I pray that uh, we would not take that for granted, that we would yield to it every day. That in every effort to walk in the Spirit, we would fill our minds with the Word that the Spirit has given to us so that we can properly evaluate, properly appraise, properly judge, properly discern, and live a life pleasing to you and fulfilling to us. These are the things that we ask in Christ's name. Amen.